The date is Friday, April 2nd, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. Chances are you've heard of Tommy Wiseau. He's the director behind a film entitled The Room, which is widely regarded as a cult classic or one of the worst films ever made. But who is this man known as Tommy Wiseau? Surely he has an interesting backstory that's just waiting to be explored. The answer is complicated. So enjoy. What's up, you guys? It's your boys. We're back again for another episode of your favorite podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. That's right, ladies and gents. If you haven't guessed it already, it's Entertain This. Entertain This. Do you like that? You seem yeah. surprised, Nick. Entertain I This. Just, I just <laughs> threw some extra stuff in there. Have you guys heard some crunching before? That's because my dog is for sure eating right next to me. That's <laughs> um, if you hear crunching from my end, it's because I have Chipotle chips and guac. Oh, hell yeah. We love that for you. <laughs> so it's a little ASMR crunch. experience, too, for you guys. That's a double. We're not going to charge you extra for that, even though we know we should. Mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. want to say right off the bat, guys, um, I hope you guys know how much I love you. And I'm talking both to you two hosts as well as the people listening out there, because it is the first thunderstorm of the year. You can smell it. You can smell the storm. It's mm-hmm, leaking in mm-hmm, through every window mm-hmm. and crevice. <laughs> you can and probably actually see lightning right there at the window. There's lightning. It's <laughs> beautiful. So it's one of my favorite things about like living in the area in which we live in is that we get thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm missing it so that we can record this podcast tonight. So it's a real sacrifice for me. And <laughs> all I ask in return is that you guys forgive if you hear any thunder going on outside. Because you will hear thunder going on outside. I can guarantee you that. Because we've been recording for like five minutes trying to suss it out and yeah. it's not going to stop and it will pick up the mics. So that's mm-hmm. a little more ASMR for you guys. So you're welcome on that too. <laughs> it's a quiet night and there's a thunderstorm going on and uh, I don't know, just and put yourself in the mood. You got, you're wrapped yeah. up in a nice warm blanket. You got it's a not going to be that kind of episode. Yeah. I'm not uh, going to lie to you. It's going to be a fucking shit show episode. I cussed <laughs> in the first minute. I don't regret it. <laughs> Hey, Ooh. there it is. Whoa. There it That's is. That's a big one. Right there. Yeah, I don't like thunderstorms all wow. that much, but I mean, I guess it's different because I was born and raised here in sunny Ohio so that we actually get tornadoes up here. Yeah. Um. So it's the thing that I was grown uh, up and scared of. So. <laughs> yeah, and because we're human beings with lizard brains, we will stop every time we hear thunder and just be like, oh, <laughs> oh, do you it's hear that? Inspiring. It's amazing. Wow. <laughs> it's loud, isn't it's it? It's Thor. <laughs> like, you will hear the thunder. We'll have to keep it in because we will stop the podcast to listen to it. Can we do ACDC's Thunderstruck whenever that happens? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. You're yeah. the editor. That's true. Well, I don't think actually that you can do that, if I'm being honest. I think that might be breaking some copyright. I'm lazy, though, so it won't happen. Like, I was singing Tears for Fears Head Over Heels for probably the first half hour that we were trying to record, and uh, I for sure can't include that. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's okay. The, 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 The 10, 15 minutes before we did the Disney episode, all I was doing was singing different various Disney songs. Mostly... (laughs) That's on theme, isn't it? Yeah, but mostly Mm. it was... um, the Mulan song, the, uh, fuck, I cannot remember. I'm so bad at remembering shit. I'll make a man out of you. That's what I'll do. It was that one. It was All the right. one in the, ref- when will my reflection show who I am? It, yep. Mm-hmm. That Great one. song. It's Great called song. Reflections. Yep. And then also the, you'll be in my heart mm. from Tarzan. Great, great job, Phil. Oh yeah. Phil Collins. We love you. Fan. Huge fan. Good work, Collins. You mm-hmm. the man. 
you're the boss. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about today, guys. Mm. Those are good movies. No, today we're diving deep, deep into something disastrous, <laughs> if you would. Um, I'm going to start off with an opener. I don't want to tell you guys what it is yet. I want to leave it in suspense so you guys are guessing while we're doing this. Okay. I think that'd be okay. fun. I think that'd be a fun thing for us to do. Uh, I'll start by saying I remember at an early age craving the spotlight, as we all do from time to time, right, boys? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're on a podcast, so <laughs> I have to assume that there's a love for uh, for showbiz that you feel. That's why we entertain people weekly. I remember being a young Alex, being a performer. Um, whether it was a little dance in the middle of a grocery store or a comedy routine, on the stage that was my living room, there was this certain level of excitement and adrenaline that would come from performing. Have you guys ever done anything that's kind of filled you with that adrenaline? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if I can say it on the air. <laughs> now I'm curious. Oh, now you have to say it. <laughs> nah, never mind. No, we have an explicit tag on this podcast. You can say it. That's true. I don't know what I was going to say, but it probably wasn't appropriate. Anyways, I don't like I don't dance or anything. I didn't I, do that I, as a kid. Well, I say you can. <laughs> I can dance if you want to. I can leave my friends behind. All right, we got the second reference, yep. so I'll let go of the High School Musical one that you missed. <laughs> 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 Please go on. <laughs> yeah. So I remember a conversation that I had with my high school theater director uh, the first time I got off stage after playing some like minimal role in probably a Disney play. And I looked at him after swearing I would hate it. And instead of coming off the stage with like resentment, uh, I said, I can't wait to do this again Mm. because performance and really being noticed is like riding a roller coaster times 10 because you share that experience with others and you leave it up to their judgment to see if it was worth it. Mm -hmm. And that feeling is kind of addicting. Hmm. Adrenaline is a drug and it's an addictive one. Mm hmm. That's one of the things that I think is so awesome about kind of making this show. But even before this, just like doing performances or making live theater to begin with back when I used to do that all the time. It's what keeps you doing it isn't like the love for it or the appreciation. It's the addiction to adrenaline that you get every time you get on stage to perform. Hmm. It's intoxicating. (laughs) Have you guys ever done any like uh, public speaking or anything? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually for, well, I say I don't dance, but yeah, there was a, there was a time when I did like a little, uh, comedy routine for our high oh, school, yeah? like senior year of high school. I basically didn't give a, a poo about like what people thought of me. Cause I was like, who cares? I'm going to go to a different college anyway. So I did, a first I was the MC for the variety show nice. that we had. And I did a little, little comedy routine, make in front of the teachers Without them knowing about it, of course, I just did impressions and then drew on like a like a little whiteboard. It's probably on the internet somewhere. Um, but yeah, that's 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 my debut into superstardom, I guess. <laughs> so how that how did that experience make you feel? Do you remember? Uh, I was going leading up to it. I was downright nervous, and then all throughout the actual, if you want to call it a performance, I was pretty nervous. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I was quaking in my boots a little bit. But as soon as you get off the stage, it's like. Oh, that was it. 
I kind of want to keep doing that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's that feeling of stepping off the stage and having nothing gone so wrong that it wasn't recoverable. Yeah, that's the addiction. Like that's it was the successful. adrenaline. It's moderately successful. I got a couple uh, chuckles, maybe. The performance is the buildup and getting off the stage and surviving it. That's the fucking bass drop. It's like, <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, I feel so much better now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the addiction that I had to performance would lead me to dreams of acting, directing, writing, chasing that high, as some might say. And I wasn't alone in that. Throughout high school, friends would discuss like things that we would do later on in life. Um, with certainty that we would like start a production company of some sort or do something along those lines. Our dream started big with a Hollywood studio, but much like most fires left unkindled, our dreams shrunk. A local theater where we could direct shows that we wanted to, a play we could write, a book we would write. Eventually, it kind of dwindled down in both numbers of supporters and things that we were doing until eventually my dream landed on this podcast which is where I'm at now. And it's moderately successful, I'd say. Doing it for a year. I mean, that's success in and of itself. Is yeah, we do it for uh, Main thing is we do it for us, so. Right, exactly. That's exactly why we do it. You see, life has a funny way of reminding you when your dreams are out of reach without letting you know the true difficulty of obtaining them. Hmm. Big dreams like Hollywood studios and things like that, those seem so doable at a young age. But once you grow up and you realize just how big the world is in comparison to you, it all kind of sets in. But I mean, this podcast shows that when you surround yourself with the right people and you believe enough in the thing you're doing, it's possible to pull the stuff off Mm -hmm. to make a successful podcast like I would say ours is right now. But those bigger dreams and when you're on your own, there seems to always be two factors that would get in the way. Do you guys know, have any guesses what those two things might be? Time and money. Those are the two <laughs> things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I have listed. Very, very good, Nick. That's that's what I wish I had more of, both of those things. Time and money. Yeah. That's right. Those are the two things that get in the way. If you had unlimited time and endless money, Oh, the things you could do, right? I just need unlimited time. The money will take care of itself, you know? That's true. (laughs) The ability to like click, pause, or slow down, rewind, replay, that kind of stuff. So I have a question for you guys. It's not hypothetical, so feel free to answer. Okay. Do you guys remember uh, people asking you what you wanted to be when you were younger? Yes. Yeah, I had an answer. What was it? (laughs) And I was like, well, I I think I want to be an engineer. And then... Um, you were five school, years old. You were like, "I'm gonna be an engineer." No, actually, before that, like when I was a kid, I was like, "Yeah, I want to be a train engineer." Duh. Like, mm. well, <laughs> I I did know that actually. And then later on, it was like, "Oh, okay." When I was in high school, I was like, "I want to be a mechanical engineer." Because that's what my dad is. Mm-hmm. And then I took pre-calculus, and then that didn't make any sense. Yep. So, <laughs> so then I and then I stopped doing that. <laughs> so do you see how life just kind of takes what you want to be and then shrinks it a little and then a little more and a little more until you get the closest thing you can find to it? 
I wouldn't say graphic design is anything <laughs> yeah, no. close to that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that either, but I, just I said, imagine I never that want to take another were... fucking math course ever. And they exactly. said, all right, yep. here's the major. <laughs> yep, I did that exact same thing. What about you, Michael? What did you want to be when you were little? So preface, my dad is a home builder. Like mm-hmm. he was. And so like I was constantly around that. So when I was like in kindergarten, I wanted to be an architect. Oh, very cool. Yeah. That was a backup plan. Yeah. Yeah. And then like I got I eventually went and did an internship in college at an architecture firm. Mm-hmm. And after doing that for like four days, I was like, this shit sucks. They're a bunch of snobs, aren't they? Yeah. Well, no, the people were really nice, but it was like the actual work was just so like mind numbing and dumb. Like, like, oh, what do you mean? Like, for this. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? Your job isn't just like drawing a building on a piece of paper and coming up with a fancy design. It's what do you mean? What is this AutoCAD? (laughs) Like, what is that? Now I got to figure out where the pipes go and the HVAC. And (laughs) (laughs) would you guys believe that when I was little, I wanted to be a lawyer? I believe that. Yeah. A lawyer. I can believe it. Tiny Alex said, I want to be a lawyer. That's exactly why I said, I like proving people wrong (laughs) (laughs) and that's what lawyers do you know but then i realized like what what happened to me wanting to be a lawyer was first off i discovered theater and performance which Mm -hmm. i would argue being a lawyer in the right if you're the right kind of lawyer is a lot of performance Mm -hmm. a lot of public speaking as well atticus finch Um, right (laughs) the famous of course um but what happened to it was basically I was like, oh, that takes so much schooling and so much learning and shit that like I just don't want to do. So I stopped. And I was like, is. this is closer. So I would say that I kind of grew out of it. And it kind of sounds like, Nick, you grew out of wanting to be uh, a uh, train engineer as well. Yeah, I don't and, know what happened to that. I guess I kind of <laughs> grew up. Right. And Michael, I mean, I'm sure you could still be an architect if you wanted, but life has a funny way of making you not want to do it anymore yeah and I, I think it always does come back to like time and money if i had the time to study for the bar if i had the money to go to law school i could be a lawyer right now mm-hmm. if nick had the the time and the money to go and learn to be a train engineer i'm sure he'd drop everything he was doing right now if it was an assured path for him that he could be a train engineer. I don't know if you're still in the mood to be an architect, Michael. Nope. <laughs> exactly. I think, found, I think I experienced that that fits you better. I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I think part of it is that like, so my in college, I was there for four years, but I left school as a uh, like very early sophomore, mm-hmm. um, mostly because I changed my major some something odd like seven times, <sighs> uh, and I went through like time after time after time where I would like just try out something, try and figure something out for me and just say it wouldn't work. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times it came down to like engineering was the only one that was like, I can't do this. Like I went to go take the calculus class and it was just like, this just doesn't make sense. Like chain rule and like all of that stuff and like having to write proofs, none of it worked, but everything else <laughs> was just like, do I enjoy it or not? Nah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me propose this time a hypothetical question. Okay. What if time and money were of no issue? What would you be able to do? Whatever I wanted. It was a hypothetical <laughs> question. Sorry, it's I hypothetical. It. I, I definitely take over the there world. was a preamble to the question that I said, <laughs> in Sorry, which I labeled continue. it hypothetical. 
<laughs> well, maybe I'd come up with an answer for your dumbass hypothetical question, Alex. <laughs> hey, usually I'm the one who's making fun of the hypothetical questions here. Stay in your lane, buddy. In today's topic, that's the exact situation our two main characters find themselves in. Time and money, it doesn't matter to them. Jumping those first two hurdles leads them to a third that we have yet to discuss. There's time, there's money. What is the other thing you need? <laughs> if we have a fire triangle of needs, I guess it'd be motivation. Motivation's a good one, but Discipline I think there's might something... be another word for that. Discipline, you're getting closer. <laughs> Willpower. The answer that I came up with was knowledge. Knowledge. Because yeah. <laughs> you can have all of the time and money that you want, but if you don't know what you're doing, it doesn't matter. Yeah, then you end up like a Hollywood type. <laughs> I think we'll be getting into that today. <laughs> I, I don't know why. When you when you brought up that there's a third thing, it made me think of uh, something I saw a long time ago, like back in like 2009 or 10. What's where that? It was like it was one of those triangles where it's mm -hmm. like at the mm -hmm. top you had time, the bottom right you had money, the bottom left you had women, and you could only pick two of those that you <laughs> nope. have at the same time. <laughs> there's a similar one where it was like. Do you want this design fast? Do you want this cheap? Yep. Or do you want it good? Pick two. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. Yeah. So so those are the three things. You need time, money, and knowledge. And if you have two of them, you'll get pretty far, but you will never succeed until you have all three. Because mm -hmm. you can have time and knowledge, but if you don't have money, you're going to hit a wall. You can have money and knowledge, but if you don't have the time to do anything with it, yeah, you're going to hit a wall. Our situation is the third one. People with time and money with no knowledge. Mm. So we'll explore their journey and we'll find out what happens as we discuss Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau. Oh, boy. Hmm. <laughs> and the room. The room it happens. <laughs> as I ask you to entertain this. <laughs> you know it's gonna be crazy we need a we need a lick there i think yeah nick can okay. you come up with one nick make that happen mm -hmm. yeah sure whatever fine I'll you can it. play guitar you can totally do it oh uh, that's that's alleged i don't know so if... so the lick that you guys just heard when i when i said after i said do the lick part because he edited out the part where i did the the mouth thing and he did the guitar lick mm -hmm. uh that that was actually nick playing would you believe yeah, yeah. it was so. really incredible yeah, Thank it was really guys. great. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I tried real hard. So our story starts where many great artist stories do at Greg Sestero's mother's house in San Francisco. Mm. Not San Francisco specifically, but many stories for artists start at their mom's house. Yeah. Like myself, Greg loved producing entertainment and his love started at the age of 12, where Greg wrote a sequel to Home Alone that he called Home Alone 2 Lost in Disney World. <laughs> Oh, uh, which, yeah, it included a leading role for himself along Macaulay Culkin's Kevin McAllister character. <laughs> oh, I, and that's something that never really left. <laughs> right. So this screenplay came with a proposal, including a provisional poster, soundtrack suggestions and a request for a cross promotional deal between 20th Century Fox and Walt Disney Pictures. This was before 20th Century Fox was owned by Disney. So mm -hmm. there had to be some lawyers involved. 
He sent that package to the production company of Hughes Entertainment, owned by one John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Told you guys we'd talk about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed the first Home Alone, among other fantastic movies of the time, which we can go into a list, but honestly, we've wasted enough time already in the intro. <laughs> Those people stay off. Um. <laughs> so perhaps it was the response from Hughes commending the young Sestero for his work that lit the same spark in him that burns in all artists. And though Hughes took the franchise in a different direction in 1992, who's to say Greg Sestero didn't inspire Hughes with at least the name? This isn't crucial to the narrative, but uh, I want to do some quick math with you guys real quick because I find it interesting. Sestero was born in 1978. He was 12 years old when he sent in his idea for the sequel to Home Alone. Anybody do a math out there? Uh, 19, uh, 1978 plus 12 means Cesaro sent in his idea in 1990. Mm-hmm. Home Alone yep. 2, Lost in New York, wasn't released until 1992. So Lost in Disney World was actually before Lost in New York was even known to exist or oh. even possibly on the cutting room floor. Hmm. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> what well, I'm getting I mean, at is, I mean, all I'm saying is Hughes probably was a little inspired by the script. Maybe just a little bit. Yeah, because I mean, he's like, ah, we got to make Home Alone too. We got to get this McAllister kid stuck in his house again. And then he reads what this 12 year old writes and goes, guys, why didn't we fucking think to, like, get him lost somewhere else? <laughs> like, <laughs> He doesn't have to be his house. I don't know. That could be a little bit of uh, serendipity, but I don't yeah. know. For the purpose of this show, yeah, sure. Maybe he was influenced by that. Maybe he was. See, but here's, I can already hear the boardroom meeting where he's like, guys, what if he's lost somewhere else? And everybody going, then why is it called Home Alone, idiot? He's not home. <laughs> Duh. Dwight's wrong, and then he's home. He'd smack him with 12-year-old Sestero's script. <laughs> and he'd be like, no, Home Alone lost in Disney, and then Disney didn't work out. So they're like, what's the closest thing to Disney? Okay, New York. <laughs> sure, I guess. I, mean, <laughs> I think that's what happened, honestly. That's right. And they just, they just didn't want to cut in this 12-year-old. I like the narrative. But that's just, that's just what I think. So let's get back to our main story. Just theory. Uh, no, that's copywritten. Mm-hmm. The year was... <laughs> I was waiting for it. The year was 1998 when Greg, 20 at the time, signed up for an acting class. He had signed with a prominent San Francisco talent agency at the age of 17, but was having uh, trouble landing pretty much any role. Perhaps this was why he turned to the small studio and Sam Fran to brush up on his acting chops before taking his next steps. Uh, It was in these hallow halls that Sestero would meet a man who would both make him and destroy him. Weirdly (laughs) enough, that may happen simultaneously. (laughs) <laughs> the man's name was Tommy Wiseau. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> As he busts in the studio, Tommy looks at him and goes, oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> I can see it. Uh, usually at this point in the branching narrative, I so often gravitate towards on this show. This would be the perfect segue into talking about Tommy's past. Hmm. But... No one truly knows. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, to be fair, the guy kind of seems like he was just made in a lab somewhere and something went horribly wrong. Yeah. yeah. They didn't quite get the brain right and it didn't <laughs> quite move like a human. Yeah. But it was 
pretty close so so after scouring the internet for the better part of a couple hours uh here's the closest that i've gotten to figuring out what his past was lizard man and these are i'm gonna go through a couple of different things that might be true number one he might be a lizard man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fair fair most likely that's number one um number two he claimed in various interviews to have lived in france a long time ago other times he would claim that he grew up in new orleans louisiana uh, mm-hmm. He went so far as to say he had an entire family living in Cham... Chal... Why do I write words I can't say? Mm-hmm. Chalmet, Chalmet, Louisiana? Sound familiar? I hope so. If you've heard Tommy Wiseau speak, you know that he does not speak with a Louisiana nor a French accent. Yeah, I don't think anyone can really place what exactly his accent is. Yeah, oh, it might be Scandinavian. Mark. Might it's, be. So... The rabbit hole of Tommy Wiseau doesn't end there. Uh, His age was too a secret he hid well. Uh, In an interview in 2010 with Kroiki, Wiseau gave an age which would suggest that he was born somewhere between the night or 1968 and 1969. Uh, Greg claimed later on his 2013 memoir, The Disaster Artist, that his brother's (laughs) girlfriend obtained a copy of Wiseau's U.S. immigration papers that uh, found Wiseau was born much earlier than he had claimed. Uh, In an Eastern Bloc country in the mid to late 1950s. Nick, this is where I want to ask you because you're the history buff here. Um, Mm. The Eastern Bloc, are you familiar with it? Yeah, of course. Go ahead and talk about it. Okay, so that was a group of countries Mm -hmm. that were either part of the the United Soviet Socialist Republics, Mm -hmm. otherwise known as the Soviet Union, or alternatively, they were heavily influenced by them. So, and communism. Communism. Yeah, I don't want to say it, but um, yeah, I mean, you get countries like Poland, uh, Croatia, Yugoslavia was another one. and there was also Uzbekistan, too. Like, so oh, I will say... Just in the area of influence of, you know, good old Mother mm. Russia. I will say Wiseau never confirmed this. It's just... It's Hearsay. like the Ferris Bueller thing where it's like, she heard from this guy who said mm-hmm. this and then this at the sits <laughs> and the blah, 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 blah. It's that kind of a thing. We got to dig up dirt on this guy. <laughs> well, I did. We'll okay. get to it. All right. Um... In his 2016 documentary, Room Full of Spoons, Rick Harper claims to have researched uh, Wiseau's background and concluded that he is Polish and originally from the city of Poznan. Mm-hmm. Close I'm going to okay. get. All right. Poznan, yep. This one, Wiseau confirmed publicly for the first time in November of 2017, 14 years after the release Interesting. of The Room. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, this is he he only actually confirmed that he was originally from Europe that's all he said was like yeah I'm from Europe he said long story short I grew up in Europe a long time ago but I'm an American and I'm very proud of it (laughs) okay that's that's a good answer I guess right but wait there's more would you believe (laughs) me if I told you that Tommy wasn't his real name I saw that one coming yeah (laughs) It's probably like Tom, Tom Inski or something. <laughs> so, again, in Sestero's uh, book, The Disaster Artist, his memoir, uh, he asserts that Wiseau revealed to him through fantastical, uh, sad, 
self-contradictory stories that as a young adult, he moved to Strausbauer. Didn't pronounce that right either. <laughs> Strausbauer. Thank you. It's Germany. <laughs> where he adopted the name Pierre and worked as a restaurant dishwasher, according to Sestero, Wiseau described being wrongfully arrested following a drug raid at the hostel and being uh, traumatized by his mistreatment by the French police, which led him to emigrate to the U.S. to uh, live with an aunt and uncle again in Louisiana. Hmm. These claims, as you may have guessed, have never been verified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe true, may not be true, but... Sestero, uh, the only source Wiseau is alleged to have told this to, asserts that after Wiseau had lived in Louisiana for some amount of time, he subsequently moved to San Francisco, California, where he worked as a street vendor selling toys to tourists near Fisherman's Wharf. Hmm. Okay. Um, popular in Europe at the time, this led to uh, him basically selling these little toy birds and for people giving him the nickname the bird man um yeah okay which being tommy wiseau led him to legally change his name uh when he became a u.s citizen to thomas pierre wiseau taking the french word bird which is oso and replacing the o with a w for his birth name what a character. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Around this time, Wiseau also claims to have obtained a degree in psychology from Laney Community College in Oakland, asserting that he had grad- he had graduated on the honor roll. Okay, sure. <laughs> Again, like, that's not yeah. the craziest thing he said so far, so maybe... No. Uh, according to Cesaro, Wiseau worked a variety of jobs in San- in the San Francisco Bay Area, including restaurant, busboy, hospital worker, and he ran a business called Street Fashions USA that sold irregular blue jeans at discounted prices. He eventually purchased and rented out large retail spaces in and around the San Francisco and Los Angeles area, which made him independently wealthy. Yeah. Uh, Cicero admits that the idea of Wiseau becoming wealthy so quickly via the jobs he claims to have had is so unlikely that he himself finds it impossible to believe. Okay, well, so here, here, here's the thing that I want to know. Is Wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go. Okay. Last, last, last part. Tommy Wiseau also claims to be a vampire. Next. Okay. All right. Acceptable. <laughs> so what was this first guy? This first guy that we talked about? What was his name? His name's Greg Cesaro. Greg Cesaro. He plays Mark. Oh, so, okay. Hi, okay, Mark. Okay. He's Mark. Hmm, that's fine. So what I want to know is, at what point did Greg be like, oh, yeah, this guy's not normal? From the beginning. Okay. Because, like, that's a pretty long working relationship to have with the guy. Oh, he knew. Okay. <laughs> Everybody knew. If you met Tommy, you knew. You knew he was a vampire. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so... So my question to you guys is, why would he lie? Why all of the secrets? It's kicking up dust, you know, yeah. to obscure himself more. Person. Yeah, make That's himself true. more interesting. Yeah, yeah, maybe he was building an identity that he was more comfortable in. Mm-hmm. Could be. Maybe his roots uh, and and more likely his upbringing with parents who had lived through the kind of communist parts of their country and 
the fear of America had uh, kind of drilled into him this distrust for America or like this fear that if he wasn't accepted by America, it would destroy him. Hmm. I have another theory. Maybe he was just like trying to be, you know, because so many people come over from there and they're like, you know, the, the typical immigrant from, you know, Eastern Europe. Maybe he didn't want to be identified with that potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I have another theory, though. Go ahead. Ooh. To me, this all sounds like the poorly constructed story and background of a lizard trying to live in a human life. <laughs> yeah, he could be a lizard. Lizard man. <laughs> Not bird man. It's lizard man. Yeah. <laughs> Birdman, that's the perfect disguise. Yeah, They'll never Birdman. suspect he's Nobody actually a lizard. A, a bird to be a lizard because birds eat lizards. Everyone knows that. Yeah, I think so. That's Tommy Wiseau way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So, so what do we know? What do we know is true? We know that Wiseau was most likely in a near fatal car accident in California. I say most likely because actually, who knows? But it's <laughs> it's most likely accurate um, that he was in this car accident. Um, and after another driver ran a red light and basically crashed into him, uh, Tommy was hospitalized for several weeks. Okay. This is considered to be a turning point where, perhaps against better judgment, Wiseau decides to chase after his dreams and become a famous actor. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Being mm-hmm. in a coma will do that to you, I guess. <laughs> this also might be the reason why you look at pictures of Tommy Wiseau or his like face and you're like, something's off. Yeah, I it mean, could yeah. be injuries that he obtained during this car crash, hmm. or it could be the lizard disguise falling off. <laughs> Skin just kind of <laughs> right. Could be. So that's how both Sestero and Wiseau met on that dusty stage in San Fran, playing improv games and performing scenes like anyone who has had a high school drama class. Mm-hmm. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Nope. Okay, I'm not going to explain it to you. Look it up. <laughs> Please continue. Well, first rule is yes and, so you already fucked it up. So Sorry, clearly, yes, yes and. There you go. Uh, it was actually Cestero that engaged Wizo first. After everyone refused to perform a scene with Wizo, Cestero took the bullet. This allowed Cestero to at least somewhat gain Wizo's trust and friendship. Cestero and Wizo would begin spending time with each other outside of class, bonding over their similar dreams of moving to Hollywood and becoming big Hollywood actors. Tommy would be the one to nonchalantly mention that he had an apartment in L.A. as well that they could move into together. Cestero, as most people would when their friend suggests something crazy, jokingly agreed. But this time, Tommy wasn't lying. (laughs) he actually had the apartment (laughs) where he got the money for both a San Fran apartment and an LA apartment will forever be a mystery we have guesses but we don't really know Hmm. after having the typical argument anyone would have with their mother when telling her that you and your much older friend who honestly you don't know anything about were moving to LA together Greg and Tommy packed up their car and together started the 381-mile, six-hour drive from San Francisco to Los Angeles. That's how long? Yeah. That's how long. California's a big state. Yeah. Big old state. <laughs> In his memoir, Cicero talks about a stop that he and Tommy made at a motel, trying to save the staff from the confusing interaction that was insured with Wiseau. 
Sestero had Tommy wait outside as he checked them in. This confirmed in Tommy's mind that Greg was, in fact, about to murder him. <laughs> After an argument in the parking lot, Greg talked Tommy down and got him inside, and they hit the road again the next morning. To just kind of tell you how the relationship is. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Caught me. So when they finally got to Hollywood and moved into Tommy's one bedroom uh, that he had actually converted into a two bedroom with sheets like a <laughs> 12 year old. That's not how it works, but OK, sure. He was like, this is your room over here. This is where you sleep. Thumbs up. <laughs> two bedroom. Right. <laughs> Actually, I think he gave Greg the actual bedroom and he slept in the like handmade bedroom. I think that's how it worked out. Okay. But after moving in and becoming comfortable in their new apartment, um, they took their next step to becoming famous actors and they started auditioning for talent agencies. Side by side, Tommy and Greg auditioned for agency after agency after agency after agency, month after month after month after month, getting strict no's from each until finally one day, Greg got a call and he was signed. Ooh. Yeah. Though based strictly on his looks and not his talent, Greg was happy to just feel wanted in a town where many people didn't. Mm-hmm. At the time, he was handsome, young, and well-built. All the things that Tommy, despite his lying, wasn't. <laughs> Can't fake that. It's easy. No. <laughs> For Tommy, watching his friend succeed where he had failed was the last straw. He knew he no longer wanted his future in someone else's hands. He'd become famous on his own terms. Yeah, I mean, he did. <laughs> he wasn't crazy there (laughs) that is the pinnacle moment in every human that every human being waits for no matter how fast fate was running away from Tommy Wiseau no matter how much it would scream beg and plead for mercy he would grab it this is when a plan would form in Tommy's head to create his own movie then no one could be his boss Much as the late Kafka had spent countless nights writing whole novellas, Tommy, too, went on a several-day hiatus from which he would emerge with what he would call an American love story with an all-American hero. And thus, the room was born. Is that what this film is about? Because I don't think it is. That's what he said it was about. I haven't even seen it. So just from what you know already, imagine Tommy Wiseau being alone, writing a script, and he leaves and he goes, this is American. This is American right here. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, sure it is. Whatever you say, you guys can You guys can see the writing on the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious at this point. <laughs> yeah. So how did Greg get involved? Remember, we have a second character playing a part in this charade. Well, it wasn't voluntary. I'll tell you that much. Originally, after reading the script, Sestero politely declined his friend's offer to play the main antagonist for the film. He had just signed to a new uh, talent agency, and putting a mark like this on his rap sheet wouldn't look very good, as you can probably imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, But he made a promise to Tommy that if he could get the funding to make the movie, 
he would help on set. At the time, there was no way Cesaro could have known exactly how bottomless Tommy's pockets were. Rumors speculated that Tommy may have been some kind of prince on the run with a foreign bank account, or that he had gotten involved in a money laundering scheme. <laughs> However he did it, Wiseau produced $6 million to budget the film nearly immediately. What? <laughs> yeah. He just went, I already have the money. <laughs> Wait. You don't just have that much money and remain that, you know, low. Wait. Somewhere along the line, you got to talk to somebody and be like, hey, you know, here's who I am. Can I have a loan? <laughs> nope. He just pulled it out of his pocket. He said, here's $6 million. Let's make this movie. Maybe he's... So, wait, uh, so they were living in a one bedroom that was separated by a sheet. Correct. And he was able to just pull together $6 million. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe he's Nobody knows how some... he did it, and he never told anybody, so good luck figuring it out. Yeah, some illicit <laughs> pharmaceutical uh, redistributing, perhaps. Thus, production started after the $6 million were found. Um... And Greg was convinced to take the part as Mark now that it was a real thing. He's like, oh, this movie's happening. Yeah, I'll be the antagonist in it. Like a movie part for sure. At the time, he was only getting like commercial and TV gigs. Uh, the only setback being Tommy had already given the part to an actor named Dan. I included this part to give you a little taste of what working with Tommy Wiseau was like. Um, <laughs> Probably first chaos. off, Tommy decided to refer only to Dan or to Dan only as Don. He wouldn't call him Dan. He would only call him Don <laughs> and refused to learn his name. OK. After convincing Cesaro to play Mark instead uh, by offering him a new car and truckloads of money. That's the offer that eventually convinced uh, Greg to play Mark. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, afraid of firing quote-unquote Don, decided instead to carry out an elaborate plan where both actors would be filmed one after the other. The producers want to see him as Mark, Tommy used as an excuse until he finally worked up the nerve to officially change the casting. For good measure, he also fired another cast member, Michelle, at the same time as Don, so Don wouldn't feel like he was being soloed out. <laughs> Okay, good guy, I guess. Yeah, I mean, his heart's in the right place. <laughs> he yeah. didn't want Don to feel bad, so yeah. his solution was... Fire someone else. <laughs> to fire someone else with Don, but before doing that was to do unnecessary takes, waste film, waste money, waste time, because he has endless mm -hmm. amounts of it. Mm -hmm. Being a vampire, of course. And he would film the scenes that had Mark in them with both actors. <laughs> Okay. And I thought my first full-length film was a train wreck. Yeah. Somebody's always got it worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So unnecessary takes weren't the worst part of working on set of The Room, either. Uh, all in all, the production took a long four hard months. I've <laughs> listed a few things that Tommy did on set. So strap in. Are they bad? They're bad. Oh, oh no. boy. Tommy appeared hours late for the first day of production because he was doing his hair. <laughs> mm. 
This is a quote from, again, uh, Greg's book, The Disaster Artist. Tommy walked out of his bedroom wearing white surgical gloves stained to the wrist with black hair dye. Tommy had actually decided to re-dye his hair before heading over to the set. We were four hours late now. (laughs) The second thing, Tommy insisted on buying all of the film equipment. Another quote from the book, Tommy had made the breathtaking expense decision to purchase rather than rent all his equipment. This was a million dollar investment that not even a large Hollywood studio would dare. And he did it without a careless gesture. Tommy threw a century of prevailing film production wisdom into the wind. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's dumb. Yeah, uh, it tracks, tracks so far. (laughs) Tommy decided to use green screen to recreate actual Los Angeles locations. (laughs) (laughs) He's based out of Los Angeles, right? He's filming in Los Angeles. They're filming across the street from the alleyway he's based the shot in. (laughs) The director of the film could point to the alleyway and say, why does it look exactly like that? And Tommy would say, because we're basing it off of that. I don't understand why. Why would you do this? <laughs> Tommy decided not to film in actual alleyways or on actual rooftops, um, but to build them as strange sets instead. And the reason that he said he did it was because they were no different from big studios, so they should do what the big studios were doing. That, that That's not no? what big studios <laughs> do, though. You guys remember the first three things I told you you needed to make anything successful? Yeah. Yeah. He's got he didn't two have of them. knowledge. No, nope. he didn't have knowledge, baby. He didn't have it. <laughs> hmm. Like, I guess like he is like funding everything and like making it all happen. But like at the same yeah. time, like at some point, someone has to just be like, no. Oh, right. sweet boy. Oh, no. <laughs> so some of your favorite lines from the room, some of the most quotable, <laughs> memeable ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took so many takes to get those. So many takes. One famous example of this is the, oh, hi, Mark. (laughs) Would you believe that that took 32 takes and three hours to get that one line? What? Wait, wait, wait. So wait, we're talking like him walking out the door and like that whole setup part before going the, oh, hi, Mark. Okay. It would start with. It's not true. I did not hit yeah. her. Yeah. I did it's not bullshit. Hit her. I, did I did not. not. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. It's the like. <laughs> I love this movie so much. It was only completed it. with the aid of a hastily introduced water bottle prop that helped Tommy separate it into two different lines. Because yep. he would throw the water bottle and that would be like his mark to start the next line. It was too long for him to memorize. <laughs> You can't memorize that. You got bigger issues, okay? It's not true. I did not hit her. It's bullshit. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I, I did not. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> so Jeez. Tommy also included lines from other movies. He's stealing them. He stole lines from other movies yeah. is what happened. Okay. Uh, and then he fucked up the lines after stealing them. Well, so then they, he made them... He made the lines his own. Yeah, see, that's another that's transformative another famous <laughs> another famous line from the movie is a perfect example of this because he meant to make an homage to uh, James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause, mm-hmm. where okay. he wrote, "You're taking me apart," 
And instead, he fucked it up and said, you're tearing me apart, you're Lisa. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> that line was a mistake, but they kept it in anyway. Another thing. The room set had a private bathroom that only Tommy was allowed to use. Everyone else had to go shit at the Circle K down the street. <laughs> oh my uh. god. The bathroom had everything, separate plumbing, extra soft toilet paper, vanity mirror, a sink. One thing that it didn't have was a door. Instead, it had a little blue curtain for a partition. That was it. Is it pay for a door? He didn't, he didn't like doors, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, no, I guess not. Sheets and curtains and whatever. <laughs> Wait, this Things, this film is called The Room, right? Yeah. What is what is not a room, but a place four walls With and a, a a door. Door. But maybe that's the thing. Maybe he wanted it all to be filmed in one room so doors weren't allowed. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh hmm. here's another thing. Things got so tense on the set of the room that Tommy had feared at one point that he would be poisoned. Oh, just like how uh, he was going to be killed by Greg. Right. Mm -hmm. Aware that his uh, crew and actors were getting fed up with him, Tommy began to fear that someone would try to tamper with his food. He didn't like anyone but himself preparing his food, especially after a difficult week of production. He occasionally would voice concern that someone might spit in his food or drink. Tommy also refused to eat off of plastic utensils, which he was worried could be poisoned. Metal can be too, I mean. Yeah, well, I got a couple more. Okay. We're having fun, right? Yeah. We're having fun with this, right? Yeah. Let's talk about it. I got three more. Let's he's hit delusional. It. Let's, like... let's hit you with it. Oh, no, he's more than delusional. He's fucking lost it. So, <laughs> And here's why. Tommy self-medicated with NyQuil and Red Bull all yeah. throughout filming this. <laughs> Okay. At the same time? Because like, the he... NyQuil would make him sleepy, so he'd do the Red Bull and keep him awake. Why not? That's like doing speedball. You can't do that shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy was sick with a cold, and his voice was almost cartoonishly foggy, says Greg in his memoir once again. I want to read this fucking book. Yeah. To combat that, he had drunk. This is his quote, so he used the wrong form of drink, but that's his problem. <laughs> he had drunk half a bottle of NyQuil. To combat the NyQuil... He'd drunk about seven Red Bulls. As a result, Tommy wasn't making much sense. One moment, <coughs> he was weird and peppy, and the next, he was leaning against a wall for support. Just about everything he said was slurred. I think he needs okay, to lay that, off the NyQuil, man. Yeah, that explains probably why, like, throughout most of the movie, he's got, like, one eye that's, like, half shut and the other that's, like, <laughs> wide open. Correct. He slurs his words a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about this one? Tommy believed that showing his butt was crucial to the room's success. Showing uh, sex butt. appeal. Yeah. In a love scene, uh, or in the love scene's final shot, Johnny gets out of bed, walks bare assed to the bathroom. Uh, Tommy thought a long, he thought long and hard about the decision to show his ass, and he said, and I quote, I need to do it. I have to show my ass or this movie won't sell. Mm -hmm. mm. yeah because it's the part that everyone wants to go to that movie for right yeah, the butt yep his butt specifically his butt the butt of the joke if you will but i'm god you got you got <laughs> that right man <laughs> so after all was called and the final scene was shot the room was released on june 27th 2003 
Yay! They did it! It took them four months and six million dollars, but they made the room. This the came room out in 2000? 2003. 2003? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Watching it, like, I straight up thought the movie came out in, like, the late 80s. Nope. 2003. I was going to say late 90s, but what do I know? The room played in the Lamel Fairfax and the Fallbrook Theater for the next two weeks with a total gross of... Any guesses? 200 bucks. Michael? Higher or lower? Higher. $201. Higher. Come on, man. This isn't prices, right? <laughs> I'm going to say, like, maybe they got a good... Give me a realistic guess here. 4000 Yeah, 100000 100000 is probably safe. $100,000 is what you think it grows out of its six, $6 million budget. I'm not... I was no. going to say, I was going to say, like, Ten thousand. I'm not 10, optimistic about it. All right, frankly. lock lock in your answers. I want real answers from I you guys. I'll do it. You're right locking now. in a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, I'm locking in ten thousand. You're locking in ten thousand dollars. The correct answer is eighteen hundred dollars. Okay, cool. <laughs> One thousand eight hundred dollars is what it made in the box office. Very depressing. One thousand eight hundred dollars. I could maybe buy a couple candy bars with that. I mean, that's the equivalent of two thousand dollars today. Yeah. All right, inflation. <laughs> Before it was pulled from circulation towards the end of its run, the Lamel Fallbrook Theater displayed two signs on the inside of the ticket window in relation to the film: one that read "No refunds," <laughs> and another citing a blurb from an earlier review. It said, "And I quote." This film is like being stabbed in the head. <laughs> give that reviewer, like, uh, give him some fucking credit. That was, that's an incredible <laughs> interpretation. So painful. Is that what I'm getting out of this? Quite. Yes. Okay. Um, so, so the question is, why are we still talking about it? Why is this train wreck still so popular in culture today? Well, during one of the showings in the second week of its run, one of the few audience members in attendance was Five Second Films, Michael Rosalette, I think I pronounced that right, True. who found unintentional humor in the film's poor dialogue and production value. After treating the screening as his own private mystery science theater, you guys familiar? Mm-hmm. Nope. Mystery science theater was like they would watch things and there would be like people heckling in the crowd and yelling stuff at the screen. And that's mystery <laughs> science theater. Mm -hmm. It happened in space, in case you were curious. I like that. Um, so he had his own little mystery science theater. Rosalette began encouraging friends to join him for future showings to mock the film, starting a word of mouth campaign that resulted in about 100 attending the film's final screening which was more than came on opening day. Yeah. Mm. Rosalette and his friends saw the film four times in three days. And it was in these initial screenings that many of the room's traditions were born, such as throwing spoons at the screen and throwing footballs during the film. The football one makes sense. The spoon one is because there is a piece of framed art quote-unquote on uh tommy wiseau's character johnny's mantle that is just a picture of a fucking spoon 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and every time that you see the spoon, you throw a spoon at the screen. Hmm. Very postmodern. I like that. Yeah. Oh, God, this is starting to get painful to talk about. <laughs> I'm loving it. I love after it. The, after the film was pulled from theaters, those who had attended the final showings began emailing Wiseau, telling him how much they enjoyed the film. Encouraging or Encouraged by the volume of messages he received, Wiseau booked a single midnight screening of The Room in June of 2004, which proved successful enough that Wiseau booked a second showing in July, a third in August, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Hmm. These screenings proved to be even more successful and were followed by monthly screenings on the last Saturday of the month, which began selling out and continued up until the theater was sold in 2012. To which Tommy Wiseau made $30 million off of. Whoa. Huh. Well, everything works out in the end. In the stock market, we have a saying. That saying is, it's only a loss if you sell. That means you only lose money if you give up on what you're doing. Hold the line. Yep. Tommy Wiseau <laughs> made $24 million off of the room. The room. It's going to the moon. And we struggle <laughs> to get five people to listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, to the moon. That's because we're not so bad that people feel like they need to listen to Guys, it. Should we be worse? Should we make our podcast less we, listenable? Yeah. yeah. Start doing top tens. oh Oh, Oh my god is that nick's best joke that might be nick's best joke yeah nick is of course referring to entertain this exclamation point that does nothing but top 10 videos next Um, (laughs) wiseau frequently made appearances in these screenings and often engaged with fans afterwards on the fifth anniversary of the film's premiere it sold out every screen in the Sunset Five, which was like 14 to 15 screens. Mm-hmm. And both Tommy Wiseau and our boy Greg Sestero did a Q&A after. Reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> the film was featured on the 2008 Range Life Tour and expanded to midnight screenings in several other cities soon after. Celebrity fans of the film include Paul Rudd, David Cross, Will Arnett, uh, Patton Oswald, Tim Heidecker, uh, <laughs> Eric Warheim. Yeah, a couple names that you know there. That checks out. But most importantly, Seth Rogen, James Franco, and his little brother, Dave Franco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how the film adaptation of the disaster artist, Greg Cicero's memoir, came to be. With the team behind the movies like This is the End, Pineapple Express, Super bad. This story I told you tonight finally reached mainstream audiences with a Rotten Tomatoes score of 91% fresh. Ooh. That's right. <laughs> That's right, baby. Finally, the story of Tommy Wiseau would reach a score above 23%. <laughs> a happy ending for all. That's what the room had, by the way. 23% fresh. Honestly, that's higher than I thought it would be. Wow. Yeah. I thought people would jump on the hate bandwagon and go like, no, oh, this is awful. It's nine percent. So let let's let's hear our, let's hear our closing. We're hitting we're hitting that hour mark. Let's wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Let's stop torturing me. So so <laughs> from from all of this pain that we've endured, what can we take from this? Is it to chase your dreams? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Chase your mm-hmm. dreams, sure. Is it to always let or to rather 
never let your friends pressure you into their half-baked schemes. I know at least two people on this show have thought that at least once. <laughs> what half-baked <laughs> schemes have we cooked up? I don't know, <laughs> this podcast. podcast. <laughs> All right, I'll go. <laughs> Maybe the most important message that we can take away from the experience of Tommy Wiseau and Greg Cesaro is that if you find someone who will stick by you no matter what, you should stick by them for the rest of your life. For anyone wondering, Tommy and Greg still talk. In fact, they're releasing a movie this year that they wrote and produced together. It's called Big Shark. Big Shark. Whoa. Big Shark. Good for them. Okay. They jumped the and shark. Hey, maybe if you're interested, if I've caught your attention with the story of two friends trying to make it in the film inter- industry, mm-hmm. maybe, just maybe, you'll entertain this. Hey, let's send him to the podcast. <laughs> play the guitar like there. <laughs> no, no, you have to, the, the one you're going to play later. Yeah, sure, yeah. And you're going to edit in. Yeah. Every time we say entertain this mm-hmm. from now on. The new bit. Yep. The new bit we talked about. Great bit. That new bit that we talked about. Yeah, it's great remember? Hey, it's your brother, it's your, it's your cousin. Billy, you know, Billy Barry, you know that new bit you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. Uh, when we get back from our little promotional break, uh, we will talk to our, our old friend Nick W. Mm-hmm. As he mm-hmm. brings us back with a quick this, all of his own. We thank him for coming back. But before we do, let's mention that we are a part of the screen snob. Nope. We are a part of the Scene Snobs Network of mm. podcasts. That's the, that's the people. Mm-hmm. Correct. And uh, there are many a show on the network that you guys should check out. A couple of my personal favorites are, of course, the Scene Snobs podcast. There's Talking Upstream. There's Twitching Upstream. Their Twitch spinoff of Talking Upstream. Um, there is, of course, the Three Geeks podcast. Uh, the Guapo Show, so many great shows on this network. We're so happy to be a part of it. You guys should go check out those other shows after listening to us. We'd really appreciate it. Tell them Entertain This sent you. Real quick, real quick. (laughs) One of my favorite things about this entire podcast that we have done here today, if you can, please watch it in visual format because you will watch Alex slowly deteriorate both mentally and physically as he's having to talk about all this shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was incredible. I wrote the I wrote the notes for this in four hours for reasons of scheduling that we had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been knee deep in Tommy Wiseau for quite some time. Yeah, I can tell there's lots of pain behind those eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows what it's like. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, Cammie. Hey, Bryant. What do Robin Hood, Vlad the Impaler, and Mothman have in common? IDK, what? Well, they're all topics on our podcast, Mystery, where each week we discuss a new myth and the history behind it. That's Myth Story with an I-E. See you then.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If it seemed like we were away for a bit longer than usual, it's probably because we did this amazing costume change where all of us changed our clothes back to the clothes that we were wearing last week. It's incredible. It's incredible how that happened, guys. We were all really quick about it, and we worked for weeks with the choreography to make sure we could do it all on time. But also, as you guys can see, uh, joining us once again is Nick Wolf with Noe. Uh, He's back to do a quick this for us. We're excited to have you back. Thank you for coming back on, Nick. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. For taking your, your busy schedule for working <laughs> it out so you could be here another week with us. Yeah. You even And we didn't even plan this, but you're also wearing the same clothes as last week. What happened was I, I took a picture of what I was wearing that day mm-hmm. of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, man, if they, if they decide to bring you back, even if it's for a small, quick bit, wear the same clothes. You were yeah. smart in doing so. We're yeah. glad to have you back on. So you, know you, you have a, you <laughs> have a quick how, continuity works around here. Yeah. <laughs> Big brain time. <laughs> Big brain time. We know how, uh, we know how continuity works. We also know that you brought a quick this for us today. Is that right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, brought, that didn't I sound very confident. <laughs> Do you or don't you? <laughs> I, sure. I, Yes, sure. I did. Obviously. I'm I'm not some schmuckety schmuck. I'm I'm gonna come to this semi-prepared. Uh literally as we were recording our, our last uh interaction, I came up with the thing I wanted to talk about. So it's very oh, great. Kind of off the cuff. But it's also I would say it's very evocative of my previous appearance and very in vain with who I am. Let's talk about, if I may, if I may w- pitch this or whatever it's called, right? Oh, he's yeah, got put a timer, the timer up, baby. I, really want to, I want you to hold me to it. You this for me on the last one. So, what is it? Five? Is it five? I got five, five minutes. minutes. Yeah, that's quick. Oh, this. I probably won't even need that, but all right, let's go. All right, three, two, one, go. Count it Shit. down for the listeners. So, if you remember my dulcet tones from a previous episode, uh, I talked about Universal. Florida, Universal Studios, Universal Orlando Resort. Uh, Most notably, one of the things that I used to take down my combatant in uh, Disney vs. Universal was a little event called Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, Halloween Horror Nights was uh, delayed, postponed, canceled last year as a result of the global Panda Express. Mm -hmm. And here we are in the throes of March, and we're all wondering, hey, is Halloween Horror Nights going to happen this year or not? And it is. Uh, Universal came out and basically was like, yo, we're doing it this year. Halloween Horror Nights 30. It's the 30th anniversary. Technically, last year was, but they're Mm -hmm. pushing it to this year because of obviously. So it's a big, crazy year, 30 years of Halloween Horror Nights. It's going to be a crazy, huge spectacle. I can only imagine as someone that worked for them. I have ideas of what's kind of coming up and I can, and as someone that's been there many, many times over the course of a number of years, uh, I've been following this event and going to this event for many, many years. And if you are anywhere slightly interested in haunted houses, scare zones and theme parks, this is definitely something you're going to want to keep on your radar. They announced this year, the first formal announcement for Halloween Horror Nights 30 is the Beetlejuice house. Now, they did a Beetlejuice house last year. Um, It it was a proto version of what this year is going to be. They were able to do it and and rig it basically so that uh, it was, I guess, safe, you know, COVID-wise or pandemic or whatever we're calling this. I'm sorry. Panda Express-wise. Panda Express, sure. Uh, They rigged it so that it was, you know, safe and all that good stuff. Um, 
And, you know, rumor has it, um, from what I know, the only reason why they had the uh, proto version of the Beetlejuice house um, open for a limited run of, I think it was only open for one or two weekends uh, during last year's uh, fall season was because they needed to do that in order to secure it for this year. So if they weren't able to do that, they were not going to have the rights to be able to use it this year. Uh, so that's some industry uh, uh, side stuff that you guys. You don't. Uh, that was you the, don't work for them anymore. I so don't. You, so I can you say could, anything. <laughs> you could say whatever you wanted. You don't even right? go here. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just signed one of these. I'm not sure that's how an NDA works. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I, I sure. That's recall, not how an NDA works. I don't recall signing one. I'll just say that. Hey, there you um, go. You're good. No lawyer there was is present. another house. There is another <laughs> house that was supposed to be last year that I think that they're going to bring this year called Puppet Theater Captive Audience. Uh, oh. This year, they are going to have, as I can see right here, this looks like they're going to have 10 houses. They are going to have five scare zones, which means five different sections of the park are going to be uniquely themed, either an original idea from Universal Creative or it's going to be based on a uh, intellectual property. There were rumors for last year that one section was going to be Creep Show. It's a great, mm. great uh, uh, property that will probably come back this year. I would venture to guess a lot of some of the ideas will probably translate. Last year, dude, you know what? We're we're going. I'm going off the rails. Last year there was supposed to be Haunting of Hill House. Uh, there was mm. supposed to be Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, dude, there's there was a ton of stuff <laughs> that they were gonna do. That Damn, I'm just curious. totally just. I'll take a Hill House sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. but honestly, yes. <laughs> I think a better haunted house would be. Well, no, Hill House would have been pretty good, but Bly Manor would have been incredible. The like the faceless gothic romance, the, the gothic <laughs> romance, and the like faceless creatures, and the one of the lake, and oh my god, it would have been incredible nope, to see that nope, as a haunted house. No. <laughs> <laughs> let me get to let me get to my ultimatum here at the end. So go ahead. If you, you haven't one listened minute, to that previous ultimatum. episode of the Disney vs. Universal, I strongly encourage you to go listen to that because I do talk a little bit more in depth about the event of Halloween Horror Nights. It's something that you should, if you're on the fence or if you've never heard of it or or, or are interested in it, but you just you know haven't had the chance to go, I strongly implore you to go. Um, presuming everything goes off without a hitch and they're able to run the event this year, I will absolutely be there. And I definitely think you guys should. Uh, if this sounds interesting to you and I'd like to posit this. I'm going to put this out into the airwaves. I'm telling you this now live on the spot, Alex Steele and the rest of my good friends here on entertain this. I challenge you all and nay, I invite you all to join me at some point during the season of Halloween horror nights that we all go out there together yeah. and do the event for a weekend and then come back and do an episode. That would be a fucking baller Halloween episode of Entertain <laughs> This. I'm we hoping... had a pretty good one last year, but that would be pretty baller. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm definitely Especially hoping because... we can we can do that in the next three months. <laughs> considering, well, even if you're be... in Seattle, you could still. Yeah, like... I mean, it's gonna. That's an expensive ass flight, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll figure. You can't it out. do Halloween Horror Nights in the next three months. It has to be in October. Damn it! Come on, Michael. It's Duh. September <laughs> through the end of October, I think. Okay, we'll figure it out. I think you can pull it we'll off. It I think. I plus, I have fun. plus I have the Zoom mic, so I can like hook us up with actual recording equipment while we're there too, like high quality yes. recording oh, equipment. Yeah. yeah so we could record the yeah. podcast at Halloween right. Horror Nights. I'm just gonna pause this. Yep, we're good. Hill, Let's do yes. It. I put Not, it. I put it out. I put it out into the atmosphere. Well, so we'll see how people react. Know to it. it. 
and it has to happen now. So <laughs> see how much I, mean, honestly, I scream. Honestly, this sounds like something we're just probably going to end up doing. So <laughs> yeah. we got that stimmy money. Um, <laughs> I don't want to call you out, Nick, but I think last time we had you on, you also did a quick this, and I think you also did on Halloween Horror Nights then. So you guys no, should go listen to that no. too. No? no, I don't think what, I did that. What was your no. last quick this on? Proof. Let's see. It might have. It might have. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Would it be at the end of the second part of that? It podcast? would be at the end of the podcast after the second part. Right. Sure. It's none of my uh, business. Yeah. Go listen and find <laughs> I, out, everyone. We'd love to see shit. that episode. <laughs> Downloads go up. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, I would love to know. <laughs> But, but go ahead, Nick. Uh, last last week, I didn't let you plug yourself. So this is your chance. Go ahead and plug yourself before I start doing all the plugs. <laughs> you let him plug oh himself. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> he just didn't want to. You can, you, can, uh, you can follow me <laughs> on Instagram if you want. Uh, it's at NickWolf213. Uh, you don't want to follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, and that's it. That's all I got to say. That's what uh, you fought for? Cinema. <laughs> That's what I fought for. <laughs> Fifty-two, fifty, your fight. That's what I say. I love you so much, Nick. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> you guys can follow me on bus. Instagram if you want. <laughs> Don't follow me yeah, on that's Twitter. It. That's <laughs> it. Well, let me show you how a plug's done. Uh, we want to once again thank the people over at thescenesnobs.com uh, for welcoming us into their network, uh, their network of programs. You guys can check out thescenesnobs.com they have a list of all of their uh, different shows there, you guys should check out all of them they're all great, including the ones that we promote in this episode you find them there on that website Uh, if you guys have anything in the realm of entertainment that you want to send to us for us to check out, even if it's just something that entertains you, even if it's like the history of knitting, I don't care, if you have a suggestion you think it'd make a good episode, send it to us our email is entertainthispodcast at gmail.com you can find us on Twitter, we're entertain underscore this, you can find us on Instagram we're username entertainthispodcast send us suggestions entertain us, so we can entertain you and you can entertain this thank you guys so much, we'll see you next Friday, goodbye Bye-bye. Bye. Somebody want my email address? This episode of Entertain This was written by Alex Steele, with additional commentary from Michael Savoya and Nick Mustakangas. Our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.